Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today from the great state of Wisconsin by Meredith. Hello. Hello. Uh, and, and I should say, your sister is also there. And I'm sorry that I didn't introduce her as well. Yes. Dana uh-huh. is there as well. Hello. Uh, yes, we are co- live from her living room, uh, nice and comfortable, surrounded by a very cute little dog and blankets and uh, a DVD and Blu-ray of Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. So uh, wow. we're really our best life. I make no apologies for my DVD collection. Um, nor should you. And if anyone has a problem with it on this show, they have a problem with me and they can fight me. Thank you very much. Uh, listen, I don't want to bring up COVID absolutely every time I talk to you while you're in Wisconsin, but I was looking at a map that the New York Times put out today because I'm sure you've seen this. We we have a new record that we just beat um, when we shattered the old record for the most COVID uh positive cases in a day back in July we shattered that record on Friday again we did it we're number one in the world and I looked at the map for the United States and Wisconsin is just bright ass red in this map and it it's real bad as I'm sure you know so I was wondering if if you have any um specific insight since you are currently in that state uh, well, yes, it is really, really, really bad. And, uh, it is pretty much entirely the fault of the state Republican party and their complete insistence on just being the world's biggest assholes. Don't forget the tavern league owes. Oh yes. Is owed some blame in this as well. Yes. That, that would be the official association of bar owners and mm. staunch Republicans People deserve to be able to play uh, video poker and <laughs> drink watery beer to their heart's content while also breathing up all on each other. I, as an American, I have the right to die while playing that weird bar computer game where they have the side by side photos and you try to find like the slight differences. Oh, like, yeah. oh, the lady's missing a bra strap in this one. Click. I have the right to die as an American playing that game. Yeah. Highlights for pervs is exactly an American <laughs> tradition. And uh, I mean, we do have someone with a lot of expertise. Dana works with uh, people who do public health stuff and are well aware of the cases. And it is not going to be pretty this winter. And Ugh. Wisconsin is the harbinger for what the rest of the country is going to endure, not an anomaly. And I think that that's really probably the most depressing bit of information that people should keep in mind. So if you don't have a plan for how you're going to survive a long, dark, cold winter of the soul, um, you should get on that. Wow. That was such a metal thing to say, but (laughs) you're, you're absolutely right. It is so crazy to hear people like Fauci I mean, you know, all all credit to him. I don't know how he keeps his sanity on a daily basis, but just casually dropping, oh yeah, 200,000 more people could die by the end of the winter. And it's like the fact that that is now normal for us to hear and we're all sort of like, oh yeah, you know, another 200,000 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just shows how, how far we've fallen. <laughs> 
Yes. And it is pretty astounding that people just seem tired of it now and are very much just decide that, okay, maybe somebody's going to die. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my grandma. Maybe it's my 12 year old, but you know, only Mr. God knows why we have to go up, like deal with this. So Mr. God and Mr. God's very mad at us right now. Not sure why, but Mr. God's not too pleased with everything we've been up to. Uh, Yeah. It's just, it's like a defeat. It's so defeated. People are just like, yeah, I guess we have a completely dysfunctional government. They're not coming to help us. Like even, I remember even a few months ago, people were like mad that we had not gotten a second stimulus. And now it's just sort of like, yeah, we're not going to get it. Like people have just accepted that no help is coming. And to just recognize, yeah, we're going to be poor. A lot of people are going to be hungry. Uh, everyone's going to be a little bit crazy and it's just gonna, it's going to suck a lot, but Hey, I've heard that, um, there was a laptop from hell that I'm supposed to be worried about. So, okay. Laptop from hell. Uh, that's one of those weird Fox news buzzwords about the Hunter Biden. (gasps) Oh, that's a Hunter Biden thing. Of course. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah to be more worried about a laptop and a hard drive than a, a virus that's killing hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Although sure. Right. The screenplay for a movie based on an actual laptop from hell. I am there for that movie next year. I honestly, I was like, what obscure horror movie reference was that, Meredith? <laughs> I absolutely have to watch it. It sounds amazing. I would watch that in a second. Um, write that. Write that, Meredith. Oh, well, at least now I know what I'm doing during my dark. (laughs) (laughs) So on the note of things that don't suck, I wanted to get to the recommendation section. uh, Shit we're watching, reading, listening to right now that we're enjoying or even not, because we also like to give anti-recs in this segment as well. But I realize sometimes I recommend shows early in my watching experience. And then I never follow up, which is very irresponsible of me because oftentimes, you know, a show um, doesn't end as strongly as it began or it ebbs and flows. And I think that should all be a part of the recommendation experience. So in that, in the spirit of that, uh, I had a couple follow-up, um, not, uh, One is still a quasi-recommendation. The other is an anti-recommendation now. And it felt irresponsible because it started as a recommendation. So uh, the first still quasi-recommendation is Lovecraft. uh, Lovecraft uh, Country, which just had its finale. I will say it's a super inconsistent series. It starts very strong, gets very, very off the rails and not very good. Um, has moments, I will say at least one moment every episode where, you know, you're like, that was a legitimately good scene. That was a legitimately good moment or an acting moment, um, usually by Journey Smollett, you know. Um, so I will say that my attention waned a lot during the series. I was on my phone a lot, which is usually a, not a great sign. But I still think overall there's enough cool shit that happens during Lovecraft that I can still recommend it. That makes sense. I still haven't watched it. I've been waiting to get started because I assumed I would want to binge it. And yes, you know, 
I've got to save something. I actually think, Meredith, that's the best way to watch it and the smartest way to watch it. I have a feeling if I had been able to just binge watch it straight through, it would have held my attention way more. But it was one of those shows going week to week that I would honestly forget about it. Mm -hmm. And then I would see Twitter freaking out about like a moment because there are spectacular moments during it. I will say as a trigger warning, there's a lot of body horror stuff. So if that is upsetting for you, I think Lovecraft will be very uh, triggering. So maybe steer clear of it for that reason. If you're into body horror, you'll fucking love it because the special effects are sick. Like there are a few moments in Lovecraft that I was like, that was a genuinely visually spectacular moment. Um, so I would see Twitter freaking out and it would remind me and I was like, oh yeah, I have to keep watching Lovecraft. But I don't know if I ever got to, I uh, know I definitely didn't. I never got to a place where I was like addicted to it. And I was like, oh my God, I have to see what happens next because I really wish they had just stuck to the monster of the week formula. Mm -hmm. They have this series long storyline about the book of names and um, Atticus's ancestors. I understand why it's there, but to me, it's the weakest part of the show. It's just an excuse to pull the whole season together. I didn't really care about it, to be honest with you. I was way more into the character development, way more into the monster of the week stuff. That was, I don't even know if you could say monster of the week or like a monster of the series, but like that to me was the coolest part of it. Yeah. Well, and yeah. one of the frustrating things that has happened with television is that they took like a lot of showrunners took really annoying lessons from things like the X-Files and the building of yeah. an overarching mythology where the early seasons, they have these bits and pieces, but it's still very much focused on having fun mm. and creeping people out. And yeah. only later that they start really getting invested in these huge mysteries. You know, it's the supernatural issue where you have a few, uh, you know, you have a, a, most of your episodes are just crazy and then you have a big bad, but it doesn't have to have a connection to the end of the world or a world's huge conspiracy. Um, so I think you should focus either on just an overarching narrative like Watchmen or, you know, enjoy that you can have a procedural um, I think that's right. Yeah. I, w I was just reminded of today because I was listening to um, a film and television podcast. D you watch the X-Files, obviously. Did you ever get into Millennium? I did. I really enjoyed Millennium. I really enjoyed it. And I was listening to them recap it a little bit. I like it's so weird because I enjoyed it a lot, but then I completely forgot about it. And it was like unearthing a memory for me when they started talking about it where they were like, oh, yeah, it was like the even darker X-Files. And I was like, oh, my God, it was. I remember it being like so dark for the time. And I was like, "Ooh, I wonder if I should rewatch Millennium. Oh, it was. I remember it being so dark like it was almost too dark for me I remember feeling like it was just a little a little too much but hey now probably just right <laughs> yeah probably a perfect tone for 2020 and then uh my next follow-up which is now an anti-rec is uh the Nexium documentary The Vow uh when it first started I thought it was really interesting and and gave an interesting insight into uh the Nexium cult 
but eventually uh, it, it's way too long. It's redundant. I cannot believe they're trying to get a second season out of this. At the end, I started to get angry at it because it really does become what feels like to me propaganda by Mark specifically to sort of try and save their personal brands. The fact that they keep relentlessly insisting that they did not know certain things were going on. And I'm going to be honest now that we know certain details about stuff that, that has come out about Keith and Nexium. Uh, there was a tweet specifically from Ashley Ray on Twitter, uh, the Ashley Ray. And uh, they said, weird how when you watch The Vow, you don't realize Keith Rainier groomed three teenage sisters, kept one of them in a room for two years, and had a child with another. For some reason, Mark and Sarah really wanted us to think this guy was just an innocent old dipshit who wasted a bunch of rich people's time. But actually, um... So that's interesting, and that's stuff that comes up in other documentaries about Nexium. But I... Here's my personal feeling about the matter. Mark was obviously with Keith virtually 24 hours a day. He has absolutely every conversation they've ever had on film, seemingly. I find it very hard to believe that he doesn't know shit like that was going on. So it leads me to question everything about this quote-unquote documentary, which feels more like a propaganda film that's like a PR tour by Mark and Sarah. Feels yeah. um, incredibly subjective, paints them in the best possible light, and on it, like, look, I don't know the details of the court case. Maybe Mark and Sarah legally can't talk about shit because there is legal stuff going on. I don't know. But I find it highly suspect that we aren't hearing details like that. So I am anti-wrecking the vow. Yeah, I have not finished it yet. I am going to. I know Dana has just finished it. We uh, spend a lot of time talking about cult stuff because we just do. Right. I mean, that's just what sisters do, right? <laughs> cult will we join together? Would we ever actually join a cult together? Would we join different cults because of our personality like differences? Uh, I oh. am so primed for cults. Like okay. I am the person that I mean, I did improv comedy. Come on. You know, like I, I am the person that they they look for. So now, but at least, you know, now, at least I know that like UCB was a low level cult to get into, but I do feel like it taught me to, to look out for certain stuff. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what I've really learned is that I would be an awesome cult leader, <laughs> um, but probably a shitty cult member. Yeah, I definitely feel I would go like a Bonnie route. Like if you've seen The Vow, I would get into the cult and be then like, then be like, uh, uh oh, am I in a cult? You know, and then like, I need to get out of the cult. I'd like to think I would be that person and not, uh, I forget her name, but the the daughter that yeah. the, the rich lady is desperately trying to get out in The Vow, uh, her, yeah. her uh, daughter, yeah. Who I'm now obsessed with because Catherine Oxenberg's like royal history and oh my her, god, like when she, there's a moment in the vow and I don't know if you guys have seen this episode, but when she is casually referring to Charles and Mark has to be like Charles who and she goes oh Prince Charles, but she's just like casually referring to the royal family. <laughs> Yeah. Where she's like, I'll call Charles. And it's like, oh, you mean Prince Charles. Okay. You're that level of rich and connected. Okay. I see. I see what's happening. Yeah. 
she's like a she some weird eastern european like technically from some eastern european royal family but yeah yeah, but the yeah, I mean, I I am interested because I am always interested in this stuff. But we'll see we'll see how it goes. Uh, I am interested in the stars documentary that's specifically about yes. India. Um, I am gonna do so like I'll start my Rex now. I have to give it up to the Borat movie. Like, oh, I put it on my list because I can't tell you how uninterested I was, and then literally everyone is raving about it. Oh, I watched it last night with a friend whose ex- explicit pitch to watch it as a, you know, as a group of friends was, Ugh, I suppose I'm going to have to watch the Borat movie. Should we do it together? And it was, I was screaming with laughter. That's what everyone's saying. And I like, like my jaded comedy friends are like, I was howling out loud. It's so funny. And I'm like, oh my God, I guess I have to watch this. Um, Obviously, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Borat in the good news section for reasons that I'm sure we all know about now. But um, yeah, I, I was a little... I am a little lukewarm um, about Sasha Baron Cohen just because I I saw the series he did where it got a lot of buzz because he entrapped Sarah Palin, as he famously does with celebrities. Um, but we when we saw it, we had to, like, surrender our phones and, like, sign ridiculous NDAs because it hadn't officially come out yet. And then I watched it and I was sort of like, why does this exist? Like, who is this for? Um, the state of the world is like so bleak right now. This doesn't feel like it helps anyone. It feels like negative, like really toxic and negative in a weird way. And I just sort of was like done with him. Um, and now I've sort of come around where I'm like, I still don't think he like is a overall benefit for society, but I'm sort of like, I'm ready for that kind of laugh. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think that I didn't realize how much I needed to see someone doing this particular type of comedy to these assholes until yes. watching it. And it it really did feel special. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good point. That's sort of cathartic in itself. Just seeing like true pieces of shit getting humiliated can be like very cathartic. Yeah. And unlike some of the things that were more problematic about the original Borat, they're like, bec- I think because this is so explicitly political and for of the moment, he's not punching down. <sighs> so the people that he ends up making fools out of are rich, white assholes. Yes. And we and love that. Really, really makes a big difference. I it's honestly not- think that was one of my problems with the vow because it was a bunch of rich white people getting taken advantage of. And I was just like, I don't really care about you people. <laughs> I mean, like, it sucks that it had to go to this other asshole, like, white asshole, but I don't mind that you were humiliated. Yeah, I just, like, I I don't know, like, of of all the people to get taken advantage of, it's like, oh, your mom has endless resources and time and energy to come save you, so you'll be fine, I guess. I don't know. I, like, obviously, I still felt bad for the women who were, like, sex slaves and taken advantage of and all that stuff, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's a harder to have sympathy for privileged white people who have all the benefits society affords wealthy white people like that. 
um, it's sort of like, okay, I, yeah. I guess we're focusing on this group of people when we could be focusing on literally anybody. But um, uh, so I have a better, I do have one other, another recommendation that I think is yeah. well worth uh, throwing out there. It is the movie on Netflix, Vampires versus the Bronx. Okay, so I thought of you. Um, I was listening to a film podcast um, this morning, and they were running down like their top horror recommendations of like the past few years, and that was one of the recommendations. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder if uh, Meredith has watched this yet, and you have, and you liked it. I watch it with uh, the group of friends that I do movie nights with uh, every Wednesday, friends from college. We were looking for something that felt a little bit seasonally appropriate and kind of fun. And it was like, I mean, it's delightful. It's like, it has a vibe. It's very attack the block. Ooh, I love. But supernatural. Okay. You have these like really cute teen like 13 year old boys or 12 13 year old boys with you know living in the bronx and they're all people of color and you've got one really dark-skinned black boy and one light-skinned black boy that's like dominican like some sort of uh afro-latino puerto rican kid you know a, a haitian girl and it's gentrification and vampire movie in jokes and it has like it's like attack the block goonies kind of movie and it's just a delight. Oh, that also, sounds so fun. It's also like 90 minutes long. So it's the perfect. Oh, perfect. And is super friendly. So um, it's just, it's fun, you know? And that's why I, I feel like it's a huge recommendation because it's actually a movie that has the scares. You can watch it if you're a little bit of a wuss and, and you'll just feel good afterwards. Like it's that kind of a ride. And I love that your recommendations are like feel good recommendations. I'm going to close with an actual recommendation since my, I just used this segment to be a little bit shady. Um, so my genuine recommendation, at least right now, while mentioning my usual caveat that the season is ongoing and I'm only like three episodes in, I'm enjoying the new episode of Fargo or the new season of Fargo. And I was a little hesitant because there was a lot of anticipation leading up to this season and then relative silence, I thought. And I didn't hear a lot of initial buzz, but then it was slowly dripping out where people were like, no, it is actually good. The performances are great. The story is really compelling. And I was like, OK, I'll check it out. I'm enjoying it. I'm having a little bit of a hard time with Chris Rock um, because it's just it's a little hard to get past him being him. And I don't know if he is uh, necessarily a strong enough actor to overcome that. But the the rest of the actors and characters are excellent. Um, and it, it's really it's highly watchable, I would say. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will give one, and this is a specific, I'm going to just finish with, it is not a feel-good horror. It's definitely something, if you like a weird gross-out, it's called The Mortuary Collection. It is, I believe, also on Shudder, but now I can't remember. Um, Clancy Brown is in it, one of the goats. Um, and if you are really looking into, if you want a movie that includes a vignette that involves well-deserved severe dick trauma okay 
this one is for you. Wow, what a specific recommendation. Well, it also feels sort of thematically appropriate, no? Yeah, but think about how excited the person who is into that just got, where they were like, Meredith, that is my entire world. Look, I know your audience, Allison. I Thank feel you. like I'm trying to do a service for the people that are really looking for this level of specificity. That is 100% my brand. People who are very enthusiastic about dick trauma. <laughs> Somebody draw up that shirt and let's start selling it, okay? Because I guarantee you we're the only podcast that will have that slogan. Guys, on that note, it's that time of the show. I'm so sorry. It'll be okay. We'll get through it together. Here's your bad news. So on the subject of dick trauma... Obviously, I wanted to talk about the now infamous Jeffrey Tubin incident, the Zoom incident in which he was uh, attending a work meeting, which is very normal during a Zoom call. Um, and it was a, a meeting with the New Yorker staff. And then according to Jeffrey Tubin, he thought that he ended the call when, in fact, he just uh, muted himself. And then he proceeded to masturbate in front of his coworkers, um, much to their horror. He has now been uh, obviously suspended because of the incident. But I wanted to talk about it, A, because um, it's very funny. But also, it's not funny <laughs> in the sense that uh, I do feel very sorry for his coworkers. Um, and I, I just wanted to talk about it because I've had to have a conversation with a few men in my life about why this is low-key harassment and um, actually a traumatic thing for people to have to witness and go through. Um, and essentially what those conversations boil down to is me having to explain that um, that creates a threatening work environment and it sucks. And while it is tempting to just laugh about it because it's an embarrassing incident and it's, it's funny when like pretentious people like Jeffrey Tubin get taken down a few pegs, that's always like very funny. Um, it is also a, a way to create a hostile work environment and it, it's why the New Yorker took it as seriously as they did. Yes. And it is, I think that the idea that some people have floated that without intent for it to be intimidating or negative means that it can't be responsible for creating a hostile work environment and, you know, qualify as harassment is really disingenuous because you don't have to intend to create a hostile work environment because you're telling a racist joke. Right. Uh, and like, yes, everything, all of our norms have gone out the window thanks to COVID. Uh, but I think that it is just, I thought we had, we taught children that you don't take your dick out in front of other people. Um, right. Just in oh, general. Just you know, like quick. workplace or not. Yeah. 
just real quick, because I'm reading the New York Times article, let me just create or uh, correct a detail. So during this work call, they paused uh, the call for a breakout discussion. Tubin switched to a second call that was the video call equivalent of phone sex. Um, and, and that's when everything happened. He thought he was muted on, on a call. Um, and he thought he was off camera, blah, 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 blah. Um, generally speaking, it is not a good idea to have a Skype sex date at the same time as you have a meeting scheduled. So this is an interesting point, Meredith. And, you know, um, I don't want to I don't want to slander anyone without evidence, but I have a few problems with the details in this story. Um, oh, I, really? A few. Don't necessarily believe anything that Jeffrey Dubin is claiming happened uh, actually happened or if this was the plan. I also don't necessarily believe this was an isolated incident. I was talking with a friend of mine and I said the speed at which the New Yorker employees leaked this um this incident and told the world about it leads me to believe that there's not a lot of loyalty towards Jeffrey Tubin at the New Yorker which leads me to believe that maybe there's been other incidents and usually um with a man like Jeffrey Tubin there's not just one incident there's been multiple incidences and then something like this happens and it's sort of the final straw and people are like that's it I'm not working in this environment. And then they tell um, everyone and their uncle what Jeffrey Tubin did during a Zoom call. Because you would think if it was an honest mistake, there would be a little bit of a grace period where people would be like, OMG, that's so embarrassing. But Jeffrey's never done anything like this before. It's so out of character for him. We can forgive and forget. But the fact that absolutely no one did that leads me to believe that um, not everybody's a fan of Mr. Tubin over at the New Yorker. So I'll say that as well. Like, um, let's yeah. not assume that this is his only violation. Oh, well, we know it's not his only violation in general, maybe not related to uh, to, to the Zoom, because he, it's well documented that he has a history of appalling behavior. Um, there was, I mean, first of all, he had a child with his mistress who he started fucking when she was an intern. Right. Um, and also then a woman who was quoted, I believe identified as a high profile figure in the media said that he, um, he like walked up to her at a party and asked if he could fist her. Oh my God. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. Um, sir, He's the right. Sure. And I, I think that he probably has not stopped being a disgusting pig over the 10 or 15 years since all of that came out. So, yes, of course they would want this. And you really have to say, OK, like this guy does not have any respect for his coworkers. I mean, it is a true fundamental lack of interest in anybody's humanity that you think that this is a thing you could do. And also, like, can we just discuss like the grossness of deciding you're going to have a sex Zoom call while your coworkers, including Masha Gessen and Jelani Cobb, are LARPing the election. Yeah, and I'll say, like, the casualness with which 
dudes just whip out their dick anyway. Like this, this was kind of like a point that I was trying to make at UCB and like comedy theaters, the casualness with which men whip out their dicks during shows without all under the guise of it's art. And I'm just expressing myself when like there are people in the audience who might have trauma related to seeing a nude man and did not know that they were signing up to be exposed to that by going to see a comedy show. Do you know what I mean? And if you, and if you try to bring that up to male performers, they get like, like they are suddenly Lenny Bruce and you came to arrest them. They get like that level of outrage by it where they're like, well, that, they're that fucking sensitive. And these are men who would identify as like progressive. Oh, if of you course. even try to suggest they shouldn't whip out their dick in a theater where we're all trying to work as well, they get like holier than thou about it. Look, unless your penis can actually do a George, like, George Carlin impression of the seven <laughs> you can't say on television. I don't want to see it on stage. I mean, that would be amazing. And I would want to see that. So I agree. <laughs> Unless your dick can do that. Keep it fucking tucked away. Why? And you know what it is? It's that compulsive aspect where it's like, why do you need to whip it out so badly? Why did Jeffrey Tubin need to masturbate that close to like a work meeting? It makes me question every other aspect of your personality. And I know for a fact, I mean, we know for a fact it's not an isolated incident because of all the other incidents you just listed. But even if we didn't know that history, that behavior tells me this is not an isolated incident. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that got even more infuriating this week was that there were so many dudes who were, and then a few women even, the determined to defend this as an honest mistake, doubling down that we shouldn't condemn him, that it's, you know, how, you know, this is unfair because he was in the privacy of his own home and things are different there, as if there is some accepted standard of behavior that I didn't hear about when I was getting through like pre like right before I graduated from college. Like, did I miss the career counseling session where like people take out, like people just play with themselves in regular intervals. Like now I I have a sense that like everybody in the media is just like cranking it all the time. I just don't understand. Like, There are so many women I know in the same field as Jeffrey Tubin who managed to live every day not being a gross idiot. And people like Jeffrey Tubin make every day seem like a struggle not to be a pervert in front of your coworkers. It's not hard. And by the way, it's not like these women don't have rich sex lives. You know, they're, some of them are kinky as fuck, but they're doing it in like the appropriate time, the appropriate place, getting consent, not violating people's boundaries. And, and they get their, they get off, right. They get off a lot. So it's not like you either have to be like a sexually repressed nun or Jeffrey Tubin jacking it in front of his coworkers. Like there is a healthy compromise somewhere, somewhere, but so many men make it seem like a daily struggle <laughs> not to be disgusting. And it's like, it's not that complicated, dude. And by the way, if it is that complicated for you, you shouldn't have your job. Let's give your salary to somebody else because you clearly need to like go to therapy or something. Yeah. 
this is, I, I feel very comfortable and not at all like I'm creating a overly PC nanny state by saying, like drawing a hard line at you shall not crank it, touch it, whip it out at any point at in any professional interaction. I what? love the idea of you as Gandalf <laughs> so much. And in between Jeffrey Tubin and his laptop camera saying you shall not crank it <laughs> in front of your coworkers. I love that. You shall not pass. <laughs> Um, so I guess we should also talk about the final debate. I did not watch it. Did you? I did. I watched it with my mom. Brave. Um, it was, uh, weirdly enjoyable. Oh, okay. Hot take. Uh, well, I mean, it was, it was a nightmare and there were many terrible things that happened, but I didn't feel myself losing the will to live. Yes. I've heard that muting the microphone obviously was a good choice. Yes, that was good. Also, whether it was because she was wielding the power of the mute button or because she just was better at it than everyone else, Kristen Welker really did a fantastic job and I thought did a better job of shutting down Trump's completely incoherent ramblings than the others had done, which was refreshing and pleasant. I do uh, think yeah. that whatever happens after the Trump administration, whatever sort of like truth and reconciliation committee comes out of just trying to parse the last however many years I don't want to jinx it and say four years if it ends up being eight years but or longer oh my god um but I do feel like every American should get reparations in the form of being able to mute Trump with that button like as he's talking, <laughs> that should be part of our comp. Cause I bet that was so cathartic for her to just be able to be like, and you're done and you're done and you're done one more time. Uh, I I'm happy she got to do that, but yeah, yeah obviously there were these ridiculous moments um, where Trump tried to reframe the pandemic as being over. Um, he falsely dismissed the Russia investigations as a phony witch hunt he ins insisted that aside from Abe Lincoln, nobody has done more for the black community, quote unquote, than him. Uh, yeah, it, it absolutely ridiculous. I was glad that um, it seemed like people from both parties thought the Abe Lincoln comment was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and I also, I, you know, I, I thought you guys built the cages. We keep them nice and clean was a pretty fun response to you were torturing babies. And, uh, I'm the least racist person in this room was a pretty, he was, yeah. Also, there were large chunks of the debate that I did not understand because, uh, there were clearly buzzwords for primetime Fox News viewers, mm. and it felt like I was listening to someone communicating in a different language. Yeah, where that, I, like, that's been scary lately, and it's been a, a problem, like, I'd say it really accelerated the past decade, but we have such a balkanized media now that they, when I say they, I mean people on the right, Fox News viewers, routinely now use buzzwords that if you're a liberal or a person on the left, 
you might not even understand what they're talking about anymore because they are so obsessive about very niche specific conspiracy theories. Yeah. And, and that there's shorthand that is so specific that you can't find an entry point. There's not even a context clue that exists there. Um, and I, luckily it's, inscrutable enough that I think that people who are Trump curious or perhaps like want to forgive some of these things can't also look at it and say, oh yeah, that's actually a point that makes sense. It's not the kind, it's not a lie about taxes. It's something or other about some weird financial deal that Trump actually did that he's trying to say Biden did. Mm. Um, going to the topic of immigration though, for a second, um, I jokingly before the debate was like, I wonder if they'll talk about this. Just kidding. Um, but there's this bombshell report by the guardian. I don't know if you got a chance to read it, Meredith, about how ICE officers, uh, tortured African migrants, uh, to get them to sign their own deportation orders. I read part of it and honestly was so oh. disgusted that I had to stop because of yeah. the setting. And it's, I, it's really yeah. bad. Like it officers choking, beating, threatening to kill them, uh, Cameroonians specifically, um, not even getting signatures from them, just thumbprinting them and saying that was them signing, uh, their own deportation orders. Um, yeah, really, really fucking brutal. Um, there were also immigrants from Senegal, the uh, Democratic Republican Republic of Congo, Kenya, um, multiple victims saying that they were choked to the point where they couldn't breathe and they were telling the ICE officers, I can't breathe, and they were still choking them. Violent torture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The kind of stuff we only used to do to... Uh, on. Uh, enemy combatants at Guantanamo Bay and in black. Right. Right. And this is the natural progression of fascism, right? We start with prisoners because, um, fewer people object when you torture prisoners, right? Because they're not seen as people anymore for some weird reason. And then it goes to other vulnerable parts of our population, like migrants, because again, they don't have a lot of legal recourse, um, and it's easy to disappear them. So now it's, it's bleeding over the edges and, um, you should care. You should care when it happens to prisoners. You should care when it happens to migrants. But if you're one of those people who doesn't, if you think it's going to stop there, it absolutely will not. 100% completely agree. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and then a similar note with migration and immigration, uh, Lawyers are still struggling to reunite over 500 migrant children with their parents. Um, this is all from, of course, the Trump administration's zero tolerance immigration policy that led to the forced separation of hundreds of migrant children from their parents with no concern for how or if the families would ever be reunited. And guess what? Now it's been two fucking years and lawyers from the ACLU and other pro bono law firms unsurprisingly can't find these kids parents and now these families are just like irreparably destroyed and this is they're gonna what are they gonna do go door to door through every central american country 
Right. Like this is, you know, it's impossible. And they have no, I mean, they clearly did not do any work whatsoever to try and get reasonable or, or actionable information from the parents as they were making them sign their own deportation orders. But everyone who was responsible or participated in it should be in jail. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you imagine doing this to a two or three year old child? I mean, like any age, it's horrific, but like the fact that they were trying to stand up babies before judges and being like, do you understand we're sending your parent? Like the fact that we have done this as a country is like, this will be a black and it should be a a black mark on our, our record forever. Yes. And I, more than almost anything else that has happened in the last four years, I want to see a swift and deep and un and merciless accounting for these policies. I want this story specifically brought up anytime a Republican says they're pro-life. Yes. Specifically, specific case, bring in the kids, bring in the kids who we tore their families apart. They have no idea where their parents are completely wrecked their whole fucking lives. Bring those kids in uh, and have them confront them and and talk about how pro-life you are. Yeah. Tell tell me again. Tell me again how much you care about babies. Yeah. Oh, you meant white babies. Right. 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 We're right, talking right, about white right. babies, white blonde babies, right? Guys, on that note, that is quite enough of the bad. Let's end things on a happy note, shall we? Here's your good news. All right. So first good news story, I have to shout out Laura Eastow. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name, Laura. I apologize if I butchered it. You might have seen the viral clip of Laura. She she showed up the first day of early voting at Fenway Park. Very excited. She's wearing her patched jersey, her matching New England sports themed face mask. She's clutching a medium iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. And she does say at one point, I got my donkeys in the thickest Boston accent you'll ever hear. So she was interviewed about early voting, who she voted for. And I'm going to quote what she said, but I really do highly recommend you go watch the clip in in its entirety because I'm not going to offend anybody by doing a Boston accent. But it's really heightened by the fact that she has this thick accent. She says, I was thinking I had to do all the stereotypical Boston things because it was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to vote at Fenway Park. So I threw on my Cam Newton jersey, number one, my favorite player, and went down there to cast my vote with my roommate and and had my Dunkin Donuts in hand. So they caught her on her uh, her way out of voting. (laughs) She said, I wanted to vote at Fenway because we've all been cooped up inside for a little bit and I got my donkeys and she like holds up her Dunkin' Donuts. I'm ready to vote for Joe Biden, but I wish I was voting for Bernie Sanders, but it's a team sport. And everybody lost their fucking minds online because it was like, you know, not to stereotype uh, Boston natives, but the fact that she said she wanted to vote for Bernie Sanders, but she's voting for Joe Biden. 
because it's a quote unquote team sport was maybe the most Boston thing I've ever seen in my life. And then she said the donkeys thing. And I was, I fully lost my mind. Oh God. I loved that. I, uh, thought, Oh, this woman just, this is the kind of energy I want to see out of voters all the time. <laughs> I did think the team sport thing was wonderful. Uh, I really wondered like, okay, what's her context? Like, does she, is he, is she there with a roommate? Is she there with a boyfriend? Like, you know, I can't believe she didn't get something about parking the car in there. Oh, but yeah. Shout out Chris <laughs> Evans. Like, that, that's the only other <laughs> shit she could have done to make it more of a Boston moment. Um, and yeah, like... I, this was a this is a character weakness of mine, right? I I stereotyped her, so I was shocked when she shouted out Bernie Sanders, and then I was like, why am I shocked? Of course, Bernie Sanders has Boston supporters. He has supporters everywhere. There are progressives and and left of left people everywhere, and Laura is one of them. And she fucking likes her donkeys, but she's gonna vote for Joe Biden because she opposes fascism. And I was like, fuck yeah, Laura, fuck yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's especially nice because today is the first day of early voting in person in New York City. So a lot of pictures floating around the Internet of people waiting in long lines because they are just so amped to cast their ballot. And oh, Meredith, I'm trying not to get my hopes up. I'm really I know, trying. I but know, the I know. enthusiasm is making it hard because, um, you know, the early voting has been overwhelming. Overwhelming, like so millions of people have already voted. Yeah. More than 40 million people have already voted. Yeah. And uh, in some states, we're 18 to 29 year olds, literally 200,000, 250,000 more people um, voting early than they had in 2016. So we are watching a massive surge of uh, voters, of new voters in particular, uh, which is nice because you know who the olds are voting for, not the good people. Yeah, and I I don't want to be one of those people. Like, I do find it vaguely embarrassing when, like, 40-year-olds, like, post a TikTok video and they're like, the kids will save us and, like, shit like that. But... I am always really encouraged by how politically engaged the younger generations are. And I really hope they stay that way and they don't get fucking disillusioned because like people our age, we're also very engaged. And some of us are, but a lot of us like protested the Iraq war. And when that didn't work, that was hard, you know, and a lot of people got very jaded and and disillusioned and became less engaged for that reason. And I just hope that, passion and that enthusiasm is consistent. Yeah. And I, I think that this is the time now where we're seeing, yeah, this is the next generation. And I really do believe that climate change and some of the shit that they've had to deal with since they've been alive has left them a lot more radical than, than we were, where we had these disappointments and that the defeats, I mean, hopefully they're just not as afraid of defeat because they know that they have to keep fighting for literal survival. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, there's still people who, for example, were very active during Occupy Wall Street who are still um, very active in politics. And they're a great example of how you can suffer defeat, and, but still remain engaged and fight for those like little victories, you know? 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, so also in good news, we got to talk about just because it's fun to laugh at evil people. Uh, Rudy Giuliani appearing in a very compromising scene in the new Sasha Baron Cohen Borat uh, film. And so in case you don't know the details, there's a scene where Rudy Giuliani is, I believe in a, he's in a hotel room. Is that what's happening? Hotel room. It's a suite where he has an interview and that's in one room. And then they go into the bedroom afterwards and have a drink. And he is with who he believes is uh, supposed to be Borat's daughter. Yes. He and doesn't she know is... that he's supposed to be Borat's daughter. He knows okay. her. She's a, a Russian sounding blonde reporter, very Tommy Laren kind of appearance, asking him questions. So exactly the kind of young woman that Rudy Giuliani would flirt with when she asks him random questions. Now, does he know how old she's supposed to be? I don't think so. Okay. But in the film, she's supposed to be a minor, correct? Yes. She is supposed to be 15. But the actress is like in her 20s. Yes. Okay. So those are the details. But at at one point, Giuliani is on the bed and sticks his hand down his pants in what is clearly a very provocative way. Uh, He tried to play it off later as he was tucking in his shirt, which is hilarious. Uh, If you see the stills, it's like clear that he's like touching his dick. Um, And according to Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, it was very clear to them what was happening in that moment. So he like rushed in and basically like blew up the whole thing. Um, But according to him and everybody on production, they were like, oh, he's fully going to try to have sex with her. Oh, yeah. And even if he wasn't specifically trying to to whip it out at that moment, the dude definitely thought something was going to go down and was clearly trying to, like, get more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks a little bit less explicit in the movie, I will say. But within the context of the way that he speaks to her during their supposed interview, it is chilling because you see what he thinks you can tell what he thinks of her and he has that lupine sort of leer right to him um Uh, also there's no reason to sit on a bed or have your hand down your pants when you're talking to a lady journalist ever Ever, yeah. ever, ever. Just yeah. don't be in that situation. Um, you are unmiking yourself. You do not need to be laying down on the bed yep. to readjust your shirt in your pants. Never. You actually never need to do that. And men constantly push those boundaries so they can have plausible deniability and be like, no, I didn't mean it's like, guess what? You never have to have a meeting in a hotel suite ever. Yeah. You never need to be near a bed ever. Um, in fact, a lot of uh, women journalists and probably male journalists, too, would feel much more comfortable if a bed was not even in the same room during an interview. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. You would mm-hmm. not go into that room. And mm-hmm. if somebody suggested it to you, you might demur. But we've seen this time and time again, right? Like Harvey Weinstein was famous for this. Like, come up to my hotel room. We'll have a meeting. It's just been normalized in in our culture that powerful men can do that to people. And it's 
always inappropriate. We just um, got used to it, conditioned by it, you know, but you truly never have to ever have a meeting in a hotel room with a man. Yeah. You can just say no. Say, nope, I don't want to do that. Let's meet at a restaurant. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And if they get touchy, then they're probably creeps. A hundred percent. Yes. And I think because the culture has changed so much, it's, it's why we can laugh when Rudy Giuliani is like, I was tucking my shirt in. It's like, dude, I mean, we've seen this now so many times. Nobody thinks you were tucking in your shirt. So I'm putting it in the good news section just because it's funny. And it was like routinely and roundly mocked on social media, which was nice to see. Um, and anytime Rudy Giuliani suffers a public humiliation, I think it is for the greater good. But this, this Uh, mentality that, that bullshit where he was like, I was tucking in my shirt. It seems funny to us, but the reason, the whole reason he said it is because men like him, men like Harvey Weinstein got away with saying shit like that for so long because they knew people would just assume the woman was lying. Yeah. Um, I will say the other really wonderful part of that bit is during the fake interview, he offers to eat a bat. What? What? Why did he? What? Why did that come up? I, I, they're talking about, he's saying a bunch of racist stuff about COVID and coronavirus Uh, and how, you know, it wasn't people eating bats. And, you know, she says, well, something, something, you, of course we eat bats. And he's like, yeah, we should eat bats. And I was like, what man Uh, rudy rudy was just chasing the pussy as hard as he could i'll eat a bat i'll eat a fucking bat you want me to eat a bat right now it's like holy shit dude oh my god um yeah well that's very funny because people always comment that he sort of looks like a bat oh yeah his depth i definitely get very strong bat boy world world news vibes from him if you hung him upside down no bat would look at him twice in a cave they would be like yeah that's another bat Absolutely. Well, they'd probably all get really pissed because he's so damn loud and their ears couldn't take it. He would probably make the bats really, really sick. Like they would catch something weird from Rudy Giuliani and they'd be like, he's patient zero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not what I would say um, is uh, aging gracefully. No. The the hate within him appears to be in a Steve Bannon type way, physically rotting him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And as we have seen, being a bad person does rot you from the inside. And the proof of that is Paul Rudd looks fucking amazing. Hell yeah. It could be an easy explanation where you're just like, well, white people age badly, which is true. But then explain Paul Rudd. <laughs> Expl- right now, stop what you're doing and explain Paul Rudd if evilness doesn't decay people from the inside, because he is a famously nice, good person and he's not aging. He's not aging like a human being should. Absolutely. So we can just continue on with the try to be a good person, guys. That's actually the best bet. Drink a lot of water, stay out of the sun. Don't be evil. Great. Wow. Those are the three big rules. Hydrate, stay out of the sun. Don't be evil. Age like Paul Rudd which is to say, don't age precisely. Um, don't need a facelift. Just don't be a fascist. (laughs) Do we have any, 
legitimately good news or are we just making fun of Rudy Giuliani? So uh, I, I have like another, we're just making fun of someone who is our political enemy. Um, actually my next two stories are like that, but Ooh. I don't think we'll have enough. No, we won't have enough time for both. So I'll just do this one, which is fine. Cause my other one was literally just laughing about Quibi. Um, oh. Which I feel vaguely guilty about because I had like friends who had shows over at Quibi and it sucks they're out of work now. But um, I was mostly just going to laugh at uh, the Anna Kendrick troll comment, but uh, (laughs) it's fine. It's been done to death on other shows. So anyway, I wanted to talk about Trump as his uh, 60 Minutes debacle where he walked out of a 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl. Only because I find it so deeply funny, A, that, you know, Trump suffers any public humiliation, especially if a woman is involved, is like deeply cathartic and so funny. But also the fact that he has had four years to understand what his relationship is with the media. And he still consistent, consistently does dumb shit, like, say, sit down for 18 interviews with Bob Woodward or sit down with an interview with Leslie Stahl. And then he is consistently amazed when they ask him questions that might make him uncomfortable or he doesn't like. And then he storms out like a toddler. Like, how do you not understand? Like, the U.S. mainstream media is so incredibly tame and deferential to power, but they will still occasionally ask you something that might annoy you. And he seems mystified by this every time it happens. Yeah. Well, it's a funny, it's like he has a goldfish brain because to him, every time someone asks him the question, a question of, or wants to have an interview, he says, Oh, this is the time that they're finally going to give me my do. I have deserved it. I am, I'm finally here. That This is the time they're going to apologize for being so mean to me and unfair. And it never happens because they're doing their job and he gets furious all over again. And he's just, he's a, a giant baby man. He's a giant baby man. And it is I'm putting in the good news section because I think it's so funny that it just like still amazes him and offends him so much. And of course, like his immediate reaction was childlike lashing out. He posted a video of Leslie Stahl not wearing a mask as though she was walking around the White House the entire time without a mask. And she had to be like, I was wearing a mask the whole time. You just caught me when I took it off. Then he tried to claim that like she wouldn't she didn't ask Joe Biden and she was like, I haven't interviewed him yet. Like, just the the weakest, most pathetic response because a lady asked him mean questions. Yeah, and he was so angry about it. It was so unfair. He even tried to start the interview out by saying, "Well, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be nice, aren't you?" As if that's just the thing that happens. Because her job, that's her job to be nice to you, dude. And she was like, "What?" <laughs> She's like, uh, do you know who I am? Do you know that we are the most watched news show on cable television and you want me to be nice to you? I mean, he was probably just confused because he like maybe he didn't see her because she's not 20. Right. He was like, like, and you are what are you? Because you're a woman, but I don't want to fuck you. So I don't know what to do right now. Yeah. And that's he. So he just couldn't. He was off base from the first minute. There was no way. 
He was There's doomed. no way. And uh, what do we always say on the show? A mad fascist is always good news. Is that what we say? A mad fascist is always good news. I'll work on that. I'll workshop <laughs> that. It's I'll always good news good. when you piss off the fascists. That's a little better. That one works a little bit better, but we can workshop it. Okay. Guys, what are your ideas for slogans for the show? Hashtag light trees and pod. If you're a fan of the work we do, you can go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button. Um, you can set up a, a regularly occurring payment or a one-time donation. I don't really emphasize that enough, but if you want to just kick us a one-time donation, that would also be great. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Kilkenny. That's my personal Patreon where I put up all my bonus content, including bonus episodes of the show. Follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Um, part of your donations go towards paying my co-hosts. So if you enjoy any of the co-hosts who appear on the show, you're also supporting them by supporting the show. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Have an amazing rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, Stay inside and cause a little trouble. 